so cool what God is using you to do in this community because without you, we can't do it. Turn in your Bible to John chapter 7. This is our, our series scripture. This is week two of a series we're calling Sit With Me. Sit With Me. Last week, I ended our service on this statement. I believe that, that it is God's will for you to be fulfilled. You don't have to raise your hand or, or shout or stand up or whatever, but I just want to know, I want to ask you, how many of you would like to just be fulfilled in this life? Just to just know, like, to have peace in your soul that you're doing what God created you to do. Listen, I, I believe that ultimate fulfillment I'm not talking about having an emotional encounter with God, although I love that. I'm not talking about having a highlight reel. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about ultimate fulfillment, like true peace in your spirit, true contentment no matter your circumstances. I believe that God wants that for you. and I want you to believe that God wants that for you. But I believe that ultimate fulfillment is achieving the will of God as the people of God. That's, that's what ultimate fulfillment is. Well, Chris, what is the will of God? Well, there's a lot of things. There's the will of God that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. It is the will of God that you would believe in me whom he sent, not me, but Jesus. That is what Jesus said. Paul wrote that it is the will of God that you, shall not, that you should be made holy, not given unto all the things that people who don't know Jesus are given unto. God's will is for you, this is this easy, to know Him. For this is eternal life, that you would know God. So His will is for you to achieve. His fulfillment is found in you achieving His will for your life with His people. That is ultimate fulfillment. So in John chapter 7, verse 37, the Bible says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up in the middle of a restaurant and interrupted everybody's lunch. He stood up and he awkwardly yelled while everybody was trying to enjoy their meal, If anyone is thirsty... Now, see, that's a weird thing for Jesus to say because everybody was eating. Like... I have not had somebody interrupt me mid-drink and ask me what I wanted to drink. You ever been in a restaurant in the middle of your glass and you're, you're halfway through and the waiter or waitress, you're about halfway into your big gulp because I, the preacher talked too long and you were in dire thirst by the time he finally let you out of the sanctuary. And here you are in the middle of that gulp and the waitress pops her little head right beside you and says, hey, what would you like to drink today? No, you already have a drink. So it's odd that Jesus would stand up in the middle of a meal and say, hey, is anybody thirsty? But see, he wasn't talking about your flesh. He wasn't talking about your physical thirst. You understand, he's talking about your spiritual thirst. He says, if anybody's thirsty, let them sit with me. Let them come to me and drink. 
And whoever believes in me, the scriptures has said. Now that word believe is interesting because if you're not careful, you could confuse agreement with believing. See, a lot of people agree with Jesus, but not nearly as many people believe in Jesus. It's one thing to agree that that probably happened. It's another thing to entrust your livelihood on the fact that it did happen. It's one thing to agree. It's another to entrust and believe. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you will entrust your livelihood into me, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. So you'll be so fulfilled. Hear me. If you'll just sit with Jesus the way that he created you to, you'll be so fulfilled that you will become like a cup that's trying to contain a river. God will pour his spirit into you and you will begin to learn and grow to the point where you cannot contain what God has given to you. He won't just fill you up. He will fill you to overflow into other people's lives. Well, if that's the case, then why do so many pastors burn out? Because they're trying to do ministry without Jesus. They're trying to give what they don't have. And they are trying to spend in time that they have not spent. When you burn out, it's because you're not spending in what you're investing You're going spiritually bankrupt because of a lack of investment. And you are overspending in accordance with what you are investing. And Jesus said, that's not what I have for you. I have so much more than that for you. I want you to live a life that's so fulfilled that I give you everything that you need, not what you want, But everything that you need in perspective and desire that comes from me, everything that you need in mentality and spiritual fervency, I give you everything that you need so much to the fact where you don't just become fulfilled, but you actually spill over and affect other people unintentionally because you've spent so much time with me. Listen, if that's not where you are, anything less than this statement that I just read, is less than God's best for you. So what do we do? You stop being satisfied with less than God's best for you. And you remember what he did and what he's doing. The purpose of Jesus is not for you to just barely survive this life. The purpose of Jesus, let's read it in John 10, Verse 10, the purpose of the enemy, what's his purpose? To steal, to kill, to destroy. And by the way, he's bound by that process. Some of you remember this from last week. Some of you, you only come to church once a month, so it's fresh for you. I'm just re-preaching it. The purpose is not for the enemy to keep stealing from you your time with Jesus. Not for the enemy to keep stealing from you your commitment in him. To keep stealing from you true fulfillment to where he ultimately 
kills your desire to even be what God created you to be any longer. And ultimately, he destroys your very existence. But Jesus said, my purpose is that you would have a full and satisfying life. My purpose is to give you a richness beyond yourself, a satisfaction beyond what you can contain on your own. I said this last week, but I want to dig in just a little bit more. I need you to understand that Jesus died for our sin. He died for our sin, and we all agree with that. But he was resurrected for new life. Okay, hear me. Jesus died for all of our guilt, all of our shame, all the areas in our lives where we have fallen short And God forbid, continue at times to get focused on our flesh and stumble again. But Jesus died for all of those things, that that sin that separates us from God. And if he would have just died because he was spotless, perfect, blameless, tempted in every way, and yet he himself was without sin. He was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. When Jesus died, officially, our sin was paid for. We call it Good Friday. And our sin on Good Friday was paid for. But listen to me. Aren't you glad that Easter didn't end on Good Friday? Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't stay dead just like everybody else? Because he didn't desire to just come down here and pay for our junk. He desired to come down here and be resurrected to life so that we didn't just get set free from sin, but we became free for life. And my wife reminded me of this, that Jesus was actually so transformed by the cross and the resurrection that the people that spent every day with him previously did not even recognize him when he stood before them in his resurrected form. He was having a conversation with his disciples, and they didn't even know who he was. Listen to me. When you die in Christ Jesus to the life that you were living, and you allow him to resurrect you to new life, the people that thought that they knew you are going to begin to question where they ever even really knew who you were, because Jesus didn't want you to stay stuck in the same old mess over and over again. He wanted to resurrect you to something new and fulfilled, overflowing in an authentic relationship, not some kind of rogue routine where you only practice what you're trying to be. No, that you become like him. That's why Jesus was resurrected. Every other message that we preach, every other promise that we talk about, it's for not until you understand that last I will statement from God found in Exodus chapter 6 verse 7. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. That's what Jesus desires. Not to just set you free from your sin, to give you power over darkness. In fact, he even told his disciples Don't be impressed that the demons obey you. That's not what's, that's not the most impressive thing. Be impressed 
by eternal. Be impressed by perspective beyond your present circumstance. I will claim you as my own. And I will be your God. See, before I can ever live for Jesus, I have to come to Jesus. See, most of you, you know us for who we are. But you don't know who we were before him. I couldn't live the way that God called me to live before I came to Jesus. And some of you, some of you need to stop trying to clean yourself up. Some of you need to stop trying to get right before you just give him your life. Some of us need to stop thinking that we don't belong and realize that if it weren't for him, you never would. But because of him, he called the unworthy worthy. He gave the people that didn't fit a place to sit. Come on, somebody. He made a way where there seemed to be no way. He took the foolish things of the world and began to confound wise people. Chris, who is your pastor? Come on. I'm telling you, you can't try to live for Jesus until you come to Jesus. Because he's not interested in you finding fulfillment in what you do. I want you to find fulfillment in who you are. And I must come to him before I ever try to live for him. And here's how you can know if you're coming to him or not. A lot of us if we don't see the results that we were hoping for, are you with me? If we don't see the results that we were hoping for, then we begin to doubt whether God is even divine. If I'm serving, if I'm giving, if I'm working, if I'm striving, sharing, discipling, if we don't see the results we begin to doubt whether we're even doing what we're supposed to be doing. Maybe it was just better for me to go back to Egypt. Maybe it was just better for me when I wasn't trying this Jesus thing. Listen to me, friend. Jesus is not something that you try. Jesus is someone that you choose. He's not a crutch for the weak. He's a cross for the willing. Come on, somebody. I'm letting you know that when you put yourself in him, then you follow him no matter where he leads you. And no matter dark or, or bright the day may be, you can be assured that sorrow may last for the night. But as long as I follow Jesus through it, there's joy coming in the morning. I can get to the other side as long as I don't stop short and focus on the results. Jesus, I've been following you long enough. It's about time you produce something in me. Jesus said, you have been following me long enough. It's about time you produce something in you. But when we focus on results... We begin to wonder whether we're even doing the right thing. Let me ask you something. If everything else was stripped away from you and you became like Job, if you were left with Jesus and Jesus alone, would he be enough? And I can tell you, I don't know if I can honestly answer that question. 
I could tell you some hard times in life and ministry. But when the celebration turns into a trial, when your expectations turn into an examination, will you stay through until you get to the other side? When everything is stripped away, is Jesus still enough? When the results do not line up with the desire, will you stand firm in your faith? That's what we're asking. Not to be satisfied. You know what's wrong with the church? We are way too comfortable sitting in the sanctuary right beside an empty seat. We are way too comfortable just not being bad anymore. Jesus died for that, but he was resurrected for a whole lot more. And in Christ, I don't just have power over sin. I have authority in life. On my own, not so much. But in Christ, let me give you three things this morning. As, as we're preparing for the next couple of weeks, we're, we're preparing for, for Palm Sunday next weekend. We're, we're preparing for Good Friday and, and four Easter services. We're preparing to stay in three of those services on Sunday morning. Listen, we're not staying on the Saturday night thing because my babies are too young and I love them more than I love you. I'm just letting you know. I, I ain't coming to church on Saturday night except for just occasionally until my babies are graduated. After that, we talk about it. Until then, or God says in an audible voice, it's time, then we'll do that. We'll put as many services as we can on a Sunday because Sunday's a work day. Come on, somebody. God said work six, rest one. We spend too much time wondering when our next time of rest is and not enough time sitting with him so that we're ready to do what he called us to. That's another message in Christ. Three things. Number one, I am I'm called. I'm called. You're called. <laughs> when, when we answered the call to ministry, and, and I just needed to like despiritualize this thing. I had a, my dad, he liked to tell other people how proud he was of me, but he didn't really tell me a whole lot. Like, he liked to whisper it to my girlfriend how much better I was than him in baseball, but he didn't want me to know. Come on, that's just how my dad was. He just, he just wanted to challenge me. Now, my daddy Tim, my stepdaddy, he would tell people all kinds of stuff I didn't want him to know. It's just how he is. He's, he's proud of me, man. I, when, when I, whatever I was doing, if I hadn't seen somebody in a long time, and I would come up and I'd shake him, and I'd be like, man, I'm sorry I hadn't seen you in a while. I've been, they'd be like, I know, I talked to your daddy Tim. He told me all about it. I was like, I bet he did. He told you probably more than you bargained for, for a lot longer than you wanted to listen. But that's fine. That's just the way that it was. It was good. And one of those guys was actually a loan officer that Megan and I had met with. We were closing on a house, and we were selling that house and moving. Uh, we, we built, my stepdad built us a house. We lived in it for three whole months and, and, and went into full-time ministry. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. I'm sorry, I was in that house for a second. I'm back. And so anyways, uh, we, we left, we were closing. The banker said, so you guys, are, you, you guys are answering the call of God, huh? And I was like, oh, wow, this just got spiritual. Yeah, yeah, you know, we're, we're call of God. He said, how does that work? 
You know, does God like call you on the phone and you just like, you answer and then, and you hear this voice. And I started to mess with him and be like, yeah, you know what? I answered the phone one day and all I heard was this mighty rushing wind and it went into my body and began to feel me <laughs> in that moment. And then I heard tongues of fire began to fill the room. And, and no, I didn't say that. I was just like, I was like, no, you know, Jesus never called me on the phone. Let you know if he does. I'll try to, in fact, I'll merge our calls. It'll be fun. We'll have a great time. Uh, and he, we just answered the, what does that mean? What is the call to ministry? And really, listen, we, we over mysticize this thing. When you say I'm called in Christ, I am called. All you're really saying is, is that God has given you a burden for something. He's put something inside of you that's bigger than you, that, that causes you to stay awake at night He's calling you to something beyond yourself. He's given you a burden for him and the way that he wants to use you. Some of you, maybe it is full-time vocational ministry, but I can promise you every single person in this room, if you have given your life to Jesus, you are called. You're called to something. You are either gifted as an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher, or you are gifted as a saint that is equipped to do the ministry that God has placed inside of you, not just for you and your family, but for the seat of the, the person that represents the empty seat sitting next to you that's not here yet. That's the call of God. And Paul writes about this in 2 Timothy. He says, verse uh, 9 of chapter 1, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He saved us and called us. We're called to be saved and to live a holy life, not because we deserve it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time. Listen, not because you were worthy, not because I deserved it, but because when he knit you together in your mother's womb, he was knitting together a purpose to fulfill. So in Christ, you are called from the beginning of time. Why? To show his amazing grace through Christ Jesus. Number two, in Christ, I have a cause. I have a, I have a cause. I have a, I have a purpose. Acts 20 verse 24 says, my life is worth nothing to me. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. Hear me. Listen. What you don't finish, your family will have to finish for you. What you don't finish, what you don't accomplish, you hand down. What we don't deal with, the next generation has to deal with, good or bad. So my question is, in the life that we're living, are we plowing a field for them to plant and see a harvest? Or have we taken our hands off because it was too hard? What God doesn't use us to do, we leave for them to have to try to figure out on their own. I have a cause. I have a cause. I have a cause. It goes beyond me. My life is worth nothing. 
all this is for naught unless I finish the work that God assigned for me. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. The message of the gospel that you can have life and you can have it in Jesus' name. That I've devoted myself to that. I work, I earn a living to provide for my family, but I just do that so that I can serve this cause. In other words, being a part of the body is not something that I do. Work is something that I do. And being a part of the body is who I am. There's a difference. I have a cause. I don't just die to sin and, and look back and be really satisfied with what I'm not doing anymore. Are you with me? I don't get halfway up the ladder and look down and go, man, I feel sorry for all those idiots. Man, if they only knew what I... If you guys only knew what I do, you'd stop doing that. That's gross. Dirty. Nasty. Jesus, thank you. That's a Pharisee looking at the tax collector and going, man, God, I'm glad I'm not like him. And Jesus said, I'd rather his humility than your arrogance. Don't you get halfway up the ladder and look back and be satisfied with who you're not. You fix your eyes on Jesus and you keep climbing because there's a cause that's greater than your life. There's a legacy that should live beyond you and finally in Christ. I'm a child. I'm a child of God. That's who I am. And my, my identity as a child of God causes me to look beyond my present circumstance. My identity as a child of God, it causes me to remember in the midst of the persecution, the pain, the frustration, that you didn't put me here, and you can't take me out. That you didn't promote me, and you can't demote me. God did. And when I'm in Him, and I've been sitting with Him the way that I'm supposed to, I know the most important one thing. Let me share this story with you quickly. It's in Luke chapter 10. It's the story of Mary and Martha. We've all heard this story at some point if we were in Sunday school. And I don't want to assume that you were in Sunday school like me. You're probably better off than I was. You never learned how to ignore God's conviction and not answer his call. So you're new and you're fresh. And this is going to be life-giving to you. In verse 38, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Verse 39, her sister Mary sat with Jesus. Her sister Mary sat with Jesus, and, sh and she listened to what he taught. She listened, she listened to his word. She sat with Jesus, and she didn't ask him, to tell her something new. She just asked him what he would have to say. Listen, I'm not saying that you shouldn't seek God for a now word. I'm saying that you should seek his word now. And that when you begin to do the things that he's already said, then he will begin to speak into you things that are greater than you could ever imagine. 
She sat at his feet and she listened to his word and and what he taught. But Martha, 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 Martha. I just, I have to do that every time. That was a Brady Bunch. The Brady Bunch was a TV show. You can go Google it. It's on YouTube. You can Siri it. Siri, what is the Brady Bunch? Martha. The Bible says Martha was distracted by baseball season. I'm sorry, that's not what it says. Uh, Martha was distracted by the academic awards ceremony. I'm sorry. Martha was distracted by the next job deadline. Did you guys type all that in on your own? The translation is this. Martha, Martha was distracted by the fact that every time she goes to church, that stinking preacher says something about the tithe. Martha was distracted by her own hunger, her own desire, and her own will to prepare what only she could offer. Martha was distracted by dinner and the preparations. So she came to Jesus and said, Lord, it doesn't seem fair. Doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits there on her lazy good for nothing? I'm just, I'm sorry. Just sits here while I do all the work. Don't you see me working? I'm serving you so hard. And they're just sitting there. Just sitting there like a knot on a log. Don't you see what's going on, Lord? Tell her to get up off of her. Tell her to come help me. I mean, I don't know about you, but I just hear Mary trying not to cuss in that moment. Maybe it's because I was raised raised in the South. I don't know what it is. But I can hear Mary getting, like, mama frustrated, you know. Sitting there looking at me, ain't washed a dish in two months, and you show up. She just sits there again. She's always sitting there. Just sit there. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. But there is only one thing. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken. It will not be taken away from her. You know what she discovered? Listen, listen, hold in. It's in your notes. It's going to be on the screen. She discovered the value of sitting with Jesus. If you don't pray a word, just just sitting with Jesus. Lord, I'm, I'm here for you. Even if what I read doesn't make any sense to me, it's worth it because it's in your name that I sit here, that I read, that I study. She discovered the value of sitting with Jesus. See, listen to me. When you discover the value of sitting with Jesus, you remember your identity. You remember your identity. You don't look at your past and go, oh no, I can't do anything about it because on my own, my past is my struggle. But in Him, my past is preparation for my purpose. In Him, my past is honing me into who He created me to be. My identity is not based on what I do. 
I'm not a human doing. My identity is based on who I am because I am a human being. And the scripture says it is in him that I live and I move and I have my being. Listen to me. He is still Elohim, creator God of everything that was and is and in to come. In other words, the devil would love for you to look at your scene and find no hope, but God wants you to remember who you are in him so that you remember that the story is still being written, baby, that he's not done, that what he began, he is faithful to see finished from beginning to end and all the way in between. I learned from my mistakes. When I sit with Jesus, I learn from my mistakes. I don't look at my past and let it plague me. I don't look at my past and let the pain bury me right where I am. Get myself in a rut, which is a grave with both ends kicked out. I don't look at my past as a plague. I look at it and I learn from it. I live in the present and I look to the future. You know the story of Lazarus? The Bible says that Lazarus was sick for two days and Jesus did nothing. He just kept right on doing ministry. Kept right on whatever he was taking care of up in Jericho and in the land where John was baptizing. And then Lazarus dies. And Jesus says, hey, let's go. They're like, we're, we're busy doing. He goes, yeah, I know, but something significant I need to show you. So they travel down to Bethany, and they get there, and Lazarus has been dead for four days. I mean, this man is, I'm just doornail. He's, he's gone. Four days. He was sick for two. Jesus didn't even try to turn in that direction. Then he passes away. He's been gone for four days. And Lazarus, listen, this is really cool. Lazarus is the brother of Martha and Mary that we were just talking about. And I don't, Martha gets a bad rap, right? I mean, she was getting dinner ready. How bad is that? Come on, ladies. She's like, my lazy sister ain't been doing nothing all this time, just sitting on the floor. She gets a bad rap. But listen, Martha learned the lesson of her past. She realized who she was when she was sitting with Jesus. And so, watch what the scripture says in verse 20 of John chapter 11. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she didn't keep doing what she was doing. She dropped everything and she went and met him. But Mary stayed in the house. She learned the lesson of what Mary understood, but Mary became satisfied with what she had learned, not realizing that Jesus had so much more than just that lesson on that day. Come on, church, don't you get stuck. Don't you become satisfied with what you've already learned. You serve the one that created all things, and in him all things were created. You haven't began to brush the surface of what God desires to do in you, much less gotten to the place where deep cries unto deep, and God still has some things that he wants to reveal and show you. Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. 
verse 22. But even now, I know. Even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. In other words, I know that the lesson of my past has prepared me for my present situation. I know that you didn't teach me something back then just so that I could sit and hope for something right now or beg for something in the future. I know that whatever you ask God, as long as I'm in you, I'm a joint heir with you and I have the same rights that you do because I'm a child of God. I live with a new purpose. I live with a new fragrance. I live live with a new fervency. I live with a new passion. I walk in Christ and therefore I no longer gratify the desires of my flesh. Let me remind you in the negative one minute, let me remind you of the king that we serve. Let me remind you who Jesus is and who you are when you're in him. It is the same Jesus that we serve today that took Abram the nomad and turned him into Abraham the father of nations. It's the same Jesus that took Jacob the deceiver and turned him into Israel triumphant in God. It's the same Jesus that took Joseph who was thrown in a pit and turned into a slave that positioned him in the second of command and put him in a room in the palace. The same Jesus took Moses the wilderness wanderer and turned him into Moses the deliverer of God's people. He provided manna in the wilderness, quail from the sea, and water from a rock. And he's no respecter of person. So what he's done before, he is still the Lord our God and able to do much more than this. He anointed Joshua to inherit the promised land, covenanted with Ruth to her kinsman redeemer. He forgave David in the midst of sin and set himself up in his line instead. He sent an angel to he was the only one left. He sent an angel to destroy an army on behalf of Hezekiah because Hezekiah took the time to stop and pray. He rested in the den of lions with Daniel and protected Nehemiah as he rebuilt the wall. He used the beauty and the obedience of Esther to persuade the barbarian king. He imposed his will on Jonah the evangelist and he used him to save the nation of Nineveh. He to Malachi and what he said to Malachi he's saying today you bring the whole time to the house and I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that you cannot contain I will rebuke the devourer on your behalf he took a tax collector and turned him into a generous giver he took a fisherman named Peter and turned him into a fisher of men he took a prostitute and made her a maiden of ministry
that came and is coming back. But in the interim, hear me, in the in-between, he made a promise. Lo, I will be with you always, even until the end of the earth. I am a child of God. If I put my trust in him, in whom shall I fear? For I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus.